0: In the meantime, our study continues on the topic of brave conversations. We'll be focusing on sexual identity today as we look deeper into Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 15. Let's dig in. One of the things that we have made clear as we're having this conversation about sexual identity is we're going to avoid labels, and we're also going to avoid being at each other's throats in the conversation. All too often, the church has basically avoided conversations from opposite perspectives and opposite sides, and there's been a lack of civility and maybe even, I would say, a lack of Christ-likeness in those conversations. Yesterday, our primary point was to point out that All of us, all humanity is made in the image of God, and that is the prevailing and prime category and directive that we are to be known by. Anything such as male or or female or homosexual or heterosexual or any other identity that we have is subservient to the identity that we are made in the image of God, and so we must see each other first, and most importantly is that. The second thing that we've said is that we come with an understanding that these conversations are difficult. So we're going to be kind, we're going to put other people first, and we're gonna listen a lot. The last thing that we've said is that it is important for us to ensure along this journey that we end up with more questions than we do answers. People turn to the Bible for answers, but usually what they find is more questions. And that is that is the most godly way to walk away from the Bibles with more questions than answers. Well, why do you say that, Pastor Kevin? I say that because that's the same thing that happened whenever people interacted with Jesus. Jesus rarely, if ever, gave answers to anything. But he gave questions. So I think only when we're questioning and we're seeing things as being complex are we in those moments closest to God. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about the word eunuch. This may have been a word that you have heard before, though it is not a word that we generally use in common language today because it is rare, at least today, in comparison to ancient times for there to be eunuchs. What is a eunuch? A eunuch is an individual Born as a man, usually, who has been castrated by the removal of his penis, the removal of his testicles, or both through some sort of general surgery, usually, though it could be accidental as well. In the ancient world, this was the equivalent of a transgender person, it is a person who is without sex. Now, you may say, well, they are still a man. They were born a man. Well, yes, I think that's true. But for the sake and purposes of the ancient world, this was truly viewed as a third category of human beings. Well, why is that? Because typically eunuchs were made before puberty hit, which means that puberty did not end up setting in to these males. And so all of the things that would have come along... With the testosterone in the body from puberty, the the growth, the musculature, the hair, none of those things happened. And so these people without the testosterone in their body ended up being somewhere between fully masculine and fully feminine. One of the positives, if one can see a positive in being a eunuch, is they also didn't lose their hair later on in life. Now, why is that important? Well, that is important because the Bible actually directly addresses this category of individuals in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Very early on in the law, eunuchs are addressed specifically. No one whose testicles or are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And so if you were a eunuch by accident, which is rare, or by intentionality, which is something that was common, you would not be allowed into the kingdom of God because you would not be allowed into the place of worship, into the assembly. So essentially there is a wall, a barrier between God and you. You are fully out of his kingdom Why were there many of these eunuchs back then? Well, it would be very advantageous for a king or for a leader or for someone with multiple wives to have his property, his women, his harem, taken care of by people who were not going to be able to engage either in intercourse or in the production of children with his harem who maybe be questionable as to whether it was the king's child or someone else's. And so eunuchs were prized possessions. Why would someone do this to themselves? Well, they didn't usually do it to themselves. It usually happened that their parents sold them into being a eunuch because of the money that would come from the king for purchasing a child who then would have the genitalia removed and be at the service of the king thereby not being able to have a family of their own. In fact, many of them were taken from their families so early they didn't remember who their families were and certainly were going to be unable to produce a family at any point in the future as well. The Bible says these folks are not allowed in the kingdom of God in the Old Testament Jewish system. Now, why is it that eunuchs would have been barred from coming into the assembly, into worship, and into the kingdom of God? It wasn't because of their job. It was precisely because of what had gone on in their surgery, what had gone on in their body. Because the entire Old Testament worship system was built on this, that only things that are clean, only things that are whole, only things that are pure are acceptable to God. And that God would not then or ever accept anything that's flawed or blemished. If You have any memory of the Old Testament sacrificial system. It it required perfect animals. It required a perfect lamb without blemish and without spot. It required people to essentially live perfectly. And so much of the Old Testament system is built on absolving themselves from their sins regularly so that they can be perfect before God. Now, the point of that was to teach people that they could not be perfect. But what actually ended up happening was they gained this perception that God only accepts those things that are whole, that are clean, that are pure, and that anything that is flawed or blemished, God will not or cannot accept. And so this eunuch, this category, this group of individuals that aren't seen as being fully male and aren't fully female either, that are somewhere in between, were seen as being flawed, we're seen as being blemished, and so we're cut off completely from God, from faith, and from the practice of worship. This is a big deal, especially if you're not like everybody else, which is why whenever we get into the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, this passage directly from God's mouth, radically upsets the system and the assumptions that had been in place. Verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 56, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And pay attention here. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. That's that's a metaphor there, just a dry tree. Uh, a dry tree is a tree that is unable to produce fruit, that is unable to produce seed in order to multiply itself for a future generation of trees. And so what's being said here is don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm just worth nothing. I'm dead man walking. I'm unable to multiply. I have no worth or no value. And here it is. Look at this. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, this is God speaking, to the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. First of all, the fact that God is talking directly to the eunuchs is an affront to the way the religious people thought of this third gender, of these transgender, essentially by definition transgender, somewhere in between genders people. They had been seen as being flawed, as being worthless as being with blemish, which meant that they had been prevented from having any relationship with God. God comes in, steps in, and he says, yeah, no, not only are they fruitless, valueless, dead people walking, no, no, but I'm going to give them a house within my walls, which means I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them residence within the kingdom of God. So they're in, just as much as you're in to heaven, to the kingdom of God, to however you define that, I'm going to build a monument to them. I'm going to make sure that their presence is known. A monument is something that is seen; that its presence is there. There's been a lot of talk about monuments and tearing down monuments in the South lately. Why is that? Because because we don't want to see those things. We don't want to be Reminded of some of those things and a monument is a reminder a visible reminder of something that cannot be avoided when it's there God's saying I'm going to build a monument to you within the gates of heaven within the kingdom of God so that people will not be able to Avoid you or forget you. I'm gonna give you a name better I'm gonna give you a name better than the binary boys and The binary girls to the sons and and to the daughters. I'm gonna give you an everlasting name that shall not be cut off, that language that shall not be cut off. You see, their heritage, eunuch's heritage, had been literally cut off from them. Their future, their ability to produce, their manhood, their identity, all of those things had been taken from them usually without their Permission. But God says, I'm going to give you something, an everlasting name that cannot, that shall not be cut off. No one will be able to cut this off of you. I cannot in words communicate to you how radical of a turnaround and of a change this is to religious practice of the day. I I can't I can't overestimate the difference that this statement brings to the way religious people thought about those who were not as we read in Genesis 127, male and female, he and she, that were somebody who was on the outside because of what the holy book said. God steps in and says, yeah, what you think the holy book and the law says and what you think that I want You're wrong. Your exclusivity, your pushing people out, your irrecognition of this category of people that defies the categories that you have is absolutely hideous. Hey, I can't overstate it. We see flat, outright, and unequivocal reversal Of God's law and what we see is the Bible moving from an exclusive stance an excluded stance to an inclusive stance don't tell me God doesn't change don't tell me that God made them male and female and nothing nothing else no other questions no other intersects no other transgender, no no homosexuality, no spectrum, don't tell me those things. Especially if you are a literal biblicist, don't tell me those things because the Bible that you hold in your hands proves that God moves towards inclusivity. Period. And it's not just on the basis of this passage in Isaiah 56. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus gets into a conversation with the religious leaders about divorce. They're trying to trip Jesus up, and they have long used divorce in these laws to subjugate women, to subjugate other people, and Jesus Jesus is in the midst of this with them going toe-to-toe And marriage. This is a whole other conversation for a whole other day, but if you look through the Bible, the amount of places that the Bible really talks about marriage, it's not a lot. We've made marriage this huge monument that you know god says this is the creme de la creme this is the most important thing that that you can look forward to that can happen to you. that everything else hangs on when you look in scripture it's not that marriage is unimportant but there's not much talk of it in there frankly We've overemphasized it, and they certainly overemphasized it, essentially to try to trap Jesus. But in that Matthew chapter 19 passage, Jesus makes, in the statements that he's making about divorce and relationships and heaven and marriage, Jesus makes this statement, and it is radical, especially on the basis of what we've just talked about. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. So Jesus recognizes the intersex category, recognizes that there are people who are born who are not. Male and female created he then. Jesus just outright blows that binary system out of the water and says, There are people who are born that are not clearly male or not clearly female, but are not fully male or not fully female and are somewhere on the spectrum in between. And there are eunuchs who have been made that way by others. And we talked about that and why they would do that. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So there are people who have intentionally chosen a third category, who have have intentionally chosen, I'm going to say this here, to change their sex. This is exactly what Jesus is saying here. There are people who have intentionally chosen men, eunuchs, in this instance, to no longer be fully men. This is one of the most radical statements for our current culture that Jesus has ever made because it simply blows out of the water what we call a traditional understanding of gender and what many of us are told are what the Bible says and thinks and what Jesus says and thinks about gender about binary male and female, about transgender, it raises a lot of questions. I wish all of these verses were were airtight and that God and Jesus had just come right out and, and told us exactly what we needed to know to answer all the questions that we have surrounding these passages. Um, but we said, we're going to end up with more questions than answers. Anyone who tries to sell you more answers than questions, hit pause. Danger, Will Robinson. And there is more than enough, even with the questions that we walk away with, there's more than enough here in Genesis, in Isaiah, and here in Matthew to say we have radically misunderstood God's heart on the topic of sexual identity. We can conclusively say that God's heart moves away from exclusivity towards inclusivity. We can conclusively say that God sees being made in his image as being more important, it was stated first, as being more important than a binary category of male and female. And we can now conclusively say That God allows those, no matter how they became who they are sexually, whether they were born that way, whether they were made that way, or whether they chose it themselves, all of them are in and able to be in the kingdom of God. In fact, some people, here's a question I have, what does he mean by for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? What I read out of that, I don't know, but what I read out of that is some people, some people become who they are sexually, make a decision in order to bring them closer to God. And I think that Isaiah 56 backs that up. This isn't the last word, though, that scripture has to say on this. In fact, there's one other primary place, and my time is up. In fact, I'm past time. Extra credit. Read Acts chapter 8, verse 26, where a eunuch reads in scripture and and wants to understand faith and come to faith. And Philip, in his encounter with him, I want to, I want you to see Philip's encounter with him, because Philip's encounter is powerful, in that Philip knows he's a eunuch, but Philip, Philip doesn't ask questions. He doesn't ask, were you born? Were you born a third gender? He doesn't ask, were you made a third gender? He doesn't ask, did you choose this for yourself? Philip doesn't lay on him any extra things, well, you're going to have to you're gonna to have to stop what you're doing, you're going to have to be chased, you're going to have. What we see is that Philip doesn't care. Philip looks past anything of his sexuality, period, and his only concern with spiritual. How do I introduce this person to God, to Jesus? We see that in Jesus too. Jesus seems to outright ignore. All of the things that the religious culture around him says. Wait, but oh no, yeah, that person. Oh well, they're not whole. They blemish. They've got some issues. Jesus is like, WTH? I mean, what? What the heck? Doesn't matter. Stop making things that don't matter. Try to matter to God. This Bible study on Brave Conversations is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. Our mission, it's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over to Christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list. And for those who choose to donate, I have a resource box that I am going to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our conversation on sexual identity. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well, www.christtable.today. Thanks very much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, And this is The Christ Table Podcast.